0: Hello, welcome to the Jared Barnes Show, um, presented by BB Sports Media. I'm your host, Jared Barnes. Uh, Today is Friday, May 22nd, and I have a good show for you today. But before we get into the topics that I want to discuss today, I just want to say a quick shout out to you, the listeners. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank you all for the support. I greatly appreciate it. Um, If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review. Do what you got to do. Follow my social medias. All the links are in the bios of the episode, and uh, yeah, that's that's all I got to say about that, but uh, yeah, let's just get into the topics, and the first one I want to talk about today is Big Ben Roethlisberger. Hey, he's back. On Tuesday, the Steelers and Ben released a hype video where Ben was able to complete his first legitimate pass to one of his teammates since his surgery, and he said that he would not trim or cut his hair or beard until until he was able to do so until it was complete until he was able to complete a pass to one of his actual teammates a legitimate nfl pass and in the video he was getting his hair and beard trimmed and he received some backlash due to the fact that he did that by pa governor tom wolf and It wasn't nothing major backlash. It was just a little minor, but still maybe uncalled for, but maybe not uncalled for because the barbershops are closed in Pennsylvania. So there's that. Or they're supposed to be closed due to this pandemic thing that's going on. And the governor was just concerned for the health and safety. So as much as I do not, because I live in Pennsylvania, as much as I do not agree with, a lot of the way our state is reopening. I do understand his concern. So there's that. But, and it, back to the kind of pandemic thing, it looks like we may have live sports playing in states that maybe a week ago we didn't think there would actually be live sports in those states. New York and California said that here in the near future, Live sports will be able to play in will be able to be played in their states without fans. In, you know, professional professional sports, not collegiate. They didn't say collegiate sports. They did say professional sports. So, as somebody who is at this point dying and needing and wanting live sports, extremely bad. This is an ex- a a very positive thing to look forward to because. Really, right now, through this entire time, the only thing I have to look forward to right now is the reopening of my state and county and stuff like that and getting out and be able to do stuff again finally and re- the return of live sports because as somebody that loves sports, talks about sports and everything like that and even covers sports, it's just something I'm extremely looking forward to, not only because it'll give me something to talk about, but it'll give me something to watch as well because um, I really don't watch TV And I I started to notice that mainly because I know if I turn on ESPN, they have nothing to talk about either. So I don't really feel like listening to what they have to say because there's no really new news that I I can't get from my phone. So there's that. But moving on from that, I kind of want to talk about the last dance a little bit. And a lot of podcasts have done like episodes reviewing and stuff like that. The episodes that are released. And kind of walking through and reviewing the just the series itself. And I didn't want to do that because so many other people were doing it. And I kind of want to be a little different. But the finale was on Sunday night of this week. And following the finale, a lot of drama has followed it. Horace Grant was especially mad this week about how he, in his mind, was pres- portrayed in the documentary. And I also... I guess there were some reports that even Scottie Pippen is a little unhappy about how he was portrayed in the documentary. And honestly, I'm going to give you my opinion on the whole thing. The documentary, in my opinion, the teammates of Michael Jordan and the players that were on the Bulls in the documentary, I believe it didn't really make any of them look bad. The only person that really looked bad in this documentary was Jerry Krause and the pizza delivery guy in Utah. I mean, those are the two people that look bad in this documentary, just in my opinion. Um, there was a part in Episode 7 where Scotty Pippen just refused to go into the game after Bulls head coach Phil Jackson decided to draw up a play in which Tony Kukoc was going to take the game-winning shot instead of Scotty. And Episode 7 centered around Jordan's first retirement, Jordan's father's death, in Jordan's baseball career, and it also focused on the Bulls without Jordan and how the triangle offense that Phil Jackson run while he was in Chicago and while he was in L.A. and stuff like that, how successful it was after Jordan left and wasn't there because now they had a facilitator running the offense instead of a, I don't want to say ball hog, but a guy that can take the game upon himself Here's what I'll say Jordan is. And I never really heard of the incident where, ever in my life, where Scotty refused to go in the game. And I don't think it made him look like a bad teammate. And that's just my opinion. At the time, it probably did. But looking back on it, as a guy who's a very competitive individual, and, you know, you can just look at the situation and see that now that Jordan was gone, Scotty was the man in Chicago, and Jordan wasn't there. And really, it probably should have been him to take that shot. If it was any other coach, it probably would. Like, if it wasn't Phil Jackson as a coach, it probably would have been Scotty to take the shot. But Phil Jackson is a great coach. So I'm not really going to disagree with any of the coaching decisions that he makes. Front office decisions, though. Might be a little different story if you know exactly what I'm saying when he was with New York. If you know, you know, but really my final words on the entire last dance documentary are this, I think the documentary did every single person justice that was talked about and focused on every person that was in the documentary that was on the bulls that wasn't on the bulls. They had roles and no matter what, no matter what those roles were, if the bulls didn't have Jordan on their team, they would have never won six championships. That's what this documentary told me, and I knew that before the documentary. But the documentary made me realize that Jordan wasn't carrying a a team and a squad full of no-names and bums to the finals. Jordan had very good players around him when they went to the finals, and all of them had their roles, whether big or small. They were still vital in the championship runs that the Bulls were able to make. Now I don't understand why Horace Grant was so extremely mad about the way he was portrayed. I think part of it was the way he was he was mad about the way he was portrayed that Jordan pretty much said the reason there was problems was that book that was written and things of that nature. But I in my opinion, the documentary kind of pushed Horace's but he was that defensive player and that rebounder that was there before Rodman that the team needed and when they lost him that the team was in shambles and had to find somebody to bring in so in my opinion it made Horace Grant look like a good guy on the court not off the court yeah but on the court it made him the documentary made him to be perceived as a a very good player and I, I that's why I don't really understand the whole ordeal and if Scotty's mad about how he is portrayed, Scotty is the one that decided to sign that seven year contract for pennies that he pretty much signed. And if he's mad about maybe the, him thinking the documentary made him look a little dumb and made him look a little selfish at times, well, you're the one that signed that contract, and you're also the one that decided not to go in the game when their team needed you. So that's on you. It's not on the directors. It was your decisions from the 90s. I mean, most of these might have been opinions that people already had. But, yeah, I'm, I am just love the Last Dance documentary. It was something that was a blessing during this quarantine and lockdown and stuff like that. And I, since it's over now, I'm just craving something more. And ESPN decided to announce that they will be doing a nine-part documentary series that focuses on Tom Brady. Now, that's something that I want to see for sure, and that I am intrigued by. But from what I saw, there are a lot of people that were pretty unhappy about this news, and they made it pretty clear that they are not going to watch it or enjoy it, for a matter of fact. And me, myself, I'm a curious individual, and... even though growing up I was taught to hate the New England Patriots and hate Tom Brady, over the years I I grew to respect them and what they were doing, partly because in my mind I just kind of knew that this was something that we may may never get to see again. And I'm a guy that I love to get a behind-the-scenes look at anything that I can get my hands on. And if this documentary means I can see a a behind-the-scenes look into how Tom Brady came from what he was in high school, to the absolute walking machine that he is now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and his time at the Patriots, I am 100% for it because it'll just give you a different perspective and a different point of view on one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and the greatest quarterback of our generation currently. I mean, I don't understand why people ha- I, I, well I do understand why people hate Tom Brady so much because the Patriots won so much. But how can you not just respect the fact that what he's done and what Belichick has done, I just don't understand. Maybe it's just me. I'm a more positive individual. Some people are more negative like that. And that's probably why I don't understand it. But, yeah, moving on from that. Some other news this week that I really loved, and I it also received a lot of hate. And that was this. In the 2011 NBA lockout, LeBron began training to play in the NFL and was offered a contract by the Dallas Cowboys. When I read that, I was like, I wasn't really shocked by it, to be honest. But, like I said, this was another topic that got a lot of hate. And people saying, and there was like people saying that they don't believe LeBron could have made it. In the NFL. If he wanted to play. Now. The last time anybody saw LeBron James play football. Was. In high school. Like football with pads. I'm not talking about that game. That he had with KD. I'm talking about football and pads. And he was a good football player in high school. Uh, He played wide receiver for the majority of his high school career. And he was well over like 6'5". So. He was pretty good. In that aspect. And. yeah, so I mean he's six foot nine right now and being that tall, if LeBron was in today's NFL, he would be for sure successful. LeBron would not only have a height advantage on literally every single defender that was on the field, but you really can't touch him if he was a wide receiver without getting a flag. So it would be even tougher to cover him than most because he's lining out wide. He's extremely tall. He can also jump extremely high. And he's, pr- like, he's also pretty fast as well. LeBron is not somebody that I would want to cover. As a corner. And I think LeBron would have been majorly successful. LeBron would not have come into the NFL though. And been like Calvin Johnson. He just wouldn't have done it. He would have been very good in my opinion. He wouldn't have been elite at first. He could have turned into elite if he really wanted to. Because he's LeBron. He's just that athletic. But. LeBron made the right decision. In not coming to play football. And staying in the NBA. And anybody that thinks that LeBron wouldn't have been successful in the NFL must also agree with Paul Pierce and think that LeBron is not a top-five player that has played in the NBA. But that was some of the most bogus news I heard this week. And that is, he might be the biggest stooge of the week, Paul Pierce. Biggest stooge of the week goes to Paul Pierce. That's not a award I do, and it's not an award that I will continue to do but for this week's episode, Paul Pierce, biggest stooge of the week. LeBron scored 2,000 points on you. Didn't even He scored 2,000 points on you. And he's not even in your top five because you said he's not a part of a dynasty. Get out of town, Paul Pierce. A lot of people would call you a journeyman, Paul Pierce. That's what they'd call you, Paul Pierce. <laughs> Anyways, all love for you, Paul Pierce. I love you, but that was just some of the kind of the news topics that I kind of enjoyed hearing about this week. And yeah, my next topic that I want to talk about is over the week I saw top five posts on my Instagram that the SEC Network put out, and that top five post was top five quarterbacks currently in the SEC. And in their top five, Bo Nix was not in it. And I had a real problem with that. I did. I really did. Generally, I had a real problem with it. So it inspired me to do a top five as well. So here we go with my top five SEC quarterbacks. We're going to start with five. And at the fifth spot, I have Garrett Schrader of Mississippi State. Now, a lot of you may have never heard of this guy, and that's okay. Here's his. I'm going to give you his 2019 stats to start out with, and then we'll get into Schrader as a player. Uh, in 2019, Schrader had 88 completions on 153 attempts in appearances in 10 games. Uh, he also threw for 1,170 yards and 8 touchdowns with 5 interceptions. He added 587 yards rushing on the ground on 113 carries for 5.2 yards per carry while adding another 6 touchdowns on the ground. Now, those might not be huge numbers, and they might not sound very special. They might sound like a guy that filled in at quarterback, and that's what Schrader did the majority of the time. He filled in at quarterback. He was a true freshman, and... He was the backup to Tommy Stevens, who is now in the NFL, got drafted to the New Orleans Saints in the seventh round. And although he had an okay year, Schrader, um, one of his biggest highlights wasn't his play, but it was um, him getting sent what looked like to be about, I don't know, 15 feet in the air. Um, You know, when he had tried to hurdle a player. And, Part of the reason I believe he's going to make a jump and be in the top five quarterbacks of the SEC is because of his new head coach, Mike Leach of Washington State. For whatever reason, no matter who Leach has playing quarterback for him, they tend to throw for a huge chunk of yards, and they tend to be pretty successful numbers-wise and stuff like that. So regardless of how Mississippi State is next season, I expect Schrader to have a pretty solid season and B, top five in the SEC. And now at number four, I have Bo Nix from Auburn. His 2019 stats, he had 217 completions on 377 attempts for a 57.6 completion percentage. Nix threw for 2,542 yards and 16 touchdowns and 6 interceptions. He also added 313 yards rushing on 97 attempts while adding 7 rushing touchdowns. That was kind of his stats. He's not a big runner, but I love Bo Nix. He might be one of my favorite quarterbacks currently in the SEC. And it was tough for me to put him this low, but there is there is good, very good quarterbacks in the SEC. And I left a certain guy off my list. You'll see who that is. And I'll talk about why I left him off my list here later. But... It's going to shock a lot of people that he's not on my list. Back to Bo Nix here. Last year, Nix had his ups and downs. And he really started to show his true potential much later in the season when he was becoming you know, more comfortable with the system. I mean, Nix's first college football game just so happened to be the first national primetime game on ABC in the 2019 Week 1 season. Versus the Oregon Ducks. And while he did not play very well in the first half. He came out and played much better in the second. And led his team back for the win. And even through the game winning touchdown late in the game. With 9 seconds to play. Yeah, He played solid against Alabama in the final game of the season. And also played good in the bowl game versus Minnesota. Even though they lost and weren't able to come up with the win. All six of his. He had six interceptions. right? Like I talked about. And six. Out of six of those interceptions. Three of them. Three of them. Came against Florida. Down in the swamp. So. Half of his. You know interceptions and mistakes and stuff like that. Came in the same game. Now. Like I said, he had his ups and downs. At times, he looked lost and confused and out of place, but Gus Malzahn has stated that there will not be a competition for the quarterback position coming into the season and that it's Bo t- Bo's team. Bo was kind of made for this as he grew up an Auburn fan, and I expect to see a big improvement in Auburn's offense in Bo Nicks second year as long as the season, you know, you know as long as they plan it, it goes off without a hitch. So at number three, I have Kyle Trask from Florida. His 2019 stats were this. 237 completions on 354 attempts for a completion percentage of 67%. Uh, Kyle Trask threw for 2,941 yards and 25 touchdowns with seven interceptions. Uh, He also had four rushing touchdowns on 63 carries for a total of a grand whopping 8 yards. So Trask is not really a runner. And people do need to remember. That in college. When you get sacked. It counts for negative rushing yards. So that is why he has very little rushing yards. Because he does not scramble. Now. When you look at Trask. You notice one thing right off the bat. He's not a guy. That is going to blow you out of the water. With his arm talent. I'm talking about. His ability to stretch the ball downfield. And I would honestly compare him to Jake Fromm. He's accurate. He's efficient. But he doesn't have the strongest arm. And he he isn't a guy that tucks and runs the ball that often. And he's not really the most athletic individual either. Trask will help Florida move the football down the field as he plays smart. And the reason... Trask even got the job in the first place was due to Felipe Franks who transferred to Arkansas so he's no longer there. Inconsistent play. Felipe Franks was just inconsistent. He had turnover problems and that led to Kyle Trask taking over the job. If Florida is looking to win next season Trask is going to help them do so. But unless he is surrounded with great playmakers and a very solid offensive line don't expect Florida to win the SEC East with him as their quarterback, but I still expect them to win about nine games with him as the starter, honestly. That's their in my opinion, that's their ceiling with him as a starter in nine games. They won't win ten, they won nine. But moving on from Traskett number two, I have Mac Jones from Alabama. His twenty nineteen stats are this ninety-seven completions on one hundred forty-one attempts for a completion percentage of sixty-nine percent. Jones threw for 1,503 yards, 14 touchdowns on just three interceptions. Three interceptions. And he ran for a touchdown as well. He's not a big runner, so he didn't have a lot of rushing yards. He didn't have a lot of rushing attempts either. And last year he was Alabama's backup quarterback, but he ended up playing much more than, you know, he would have originally anticipated going into the season just due to Tua getting hurt. Normally the Alabama backup quarterback does get more reps than some other teams' backup quarterback because Bama will just blow teams out of the water. And Jones performed well when called upon, honestly. He also you know, seemed to have a pretty strong grasp on Alabama's offense that was almost, you know, before when Alabama would have a backup quarterback, it wasn't Jalen Hurts, Tua Tagovello, or anybody like that. The quarterback would come in and you'd be like, Oh yeah, this guy doesn't know what the hell's going on. And yeah. The tide the Crimson Tide just did not seem to miss a beat when Tua got hurt. And Jones had to replace him. Jones also still he let's be honest here. Jones is a quarterback for Alabama. And Alabama has extremely talented players all over the field, pretty much at all times. And Alabama has the best overall, this is my opinion, Alabama has the best overall remaining core that is returning to the SEC next season as they have Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Najee Harris still on the offensive side of the football. Alabama will be just fine with, as long as Mac Jones is the quarterback. They're going to be okay. And they will remain a top five team until further notice. Probably until, you know, who knows, 10, 15 years from now. And my number one quarterback in the SEC for the upcoming season is Kellen Maud from Texas A&M. Let me give you his stats. Last year, he had 258 completions on 419 attempts for a completion percentage of 61.6. Maude threw for 2897 yards and 20 touchdowns on nine interceptions. He also ran for 501 yards and on 126 carries for eight touchdowns on the ground. Now Mond had a slightly down year numbers-wise last year from a sophomore season. Part of that was due to the fact that maybe he didn't have his red zone target from the year before, Jay Sternberger, and that could have been a difference maker on why he had somewhat of a down year. But I think this year coming up could be the year where AM makes a jump. I think since they now have the best quarterback in the SEC, this is their chance. This is their time. Who knows if LSU was a fluke or not last season? And will their offense really be able to be the same after losing so many playmakers? Probably not. Auburn lost like their whole defensive line. And most of the SEC West is not really that good other than Bama, who could be the Aggie stumbling block. I truly believe that whoever wins the SEC West for the upcoming season lies in the hands of none other than Kellen Maude himself. And I believe that this is the year where he really has a chance to step up and prove the type of leader and the quarterback that he really is. And I honestly expect Texas A&M to really compete for the SEC West Crown next season. And I believe that will be in no small part to Kellen Mond himself. Kellen Mond is a very good quarterback. I've liked him for the last couple of years and he's a guy that I've kept my eye on and I enjoy watching him play. Now, the team wasn't as great good last year and this is Jimbo Fisher's second season as the head coach of the Aggies. Now, this will be his third season. Last year Last year was his second season. This upcoming year is his third year. Normally, that's when you see somewhat of a jump because that's when the guy, he, gets, he has gotten his players and they've been maybe in the program a year or two. And that's normally when you'll see the program either take a jump or a fall. And I think this is the year that Texas A M and takes a jump mainly because they have the veteran leadership at quarterback that they need. So just a quick review of my top five SEC quarterbacks. At number five, we had Garrett Schrader of Mississippi State. At number four, we have Bo Nicks from Auburn. And number three, we have Kyle trask from Florida. At two, we have Mac Jones at Alabama. And number one, we have Kellen Maud from Texas a&m Now I'm sure you just heard my list from top five quarterbacks in the SEC and you're wondering, hmm, Jared. Where is Jamie Newman, the quarterback who transferred from Wake Forest to Georgia? And that's a valid question. I can understand why you'd ask that. And I can understand why maybe I would get a lot of hate for my uh, my list. But here's what I think about Jamie Newman. I watched him play last year. While he's much better quarterback than Jake Fromm is currently. Well, Jake Fromm was. I do not know how he's going to adjust to an SEC defense, playing an SEC defense every single week. The SEC is the best division in college football, and the the next closest division to it defensively is the Big Ten. The ACC is not a uh, great defensive division, uh, especially in the ACC Atlantic where Wake Forest plays. The only really good defense that they played last season was Clemson. And Jamie Newman did not play very hot in that game. He didn't play very well at all, to be honest with you. And that was one of the bigger games that I watched because Wake Forest was kind of you know, gaining a little steam and moving up the rankings a little bit. And then when they lost to Clemson, they dropped out completely and then lost a couple other games after that as well. Now, could they have just lost to Clemson partly because of the fact that they're shorthanded talent-wise when you compare the two? Possibly. Yeah, that could definitely be it. But in my opinion, I just don't know how Jamie Newman is going to adjust to the SEC defenses. I think he's a very talented quarterback, and he has very a very high chance to crack into my top five and probably be in the top four for sure, by the end of the season. But as of right now, I just don't think he's going to hold up very well against the SEC defenses every single week. And that's just my opinion. I could be very wrong on that. And I'm sure nobody else in the country has Garrett Schrader listed in their top five. But I like the fact that Garrett Schrader has Mike Leach. And I believe in Mike Leach. And I believe in his system. And... Honestly, when I saw the kid last year, I liked the kid. I watched a lot of Mississippi State because I'm, I, I liked Tommy Stevens when he was at Penn State, so I kind of followed them. And I was like, man, I like this kid. He's an athlete. I thought he was a better athlete than John Rice Plumley, from, well, he's not a better athlete than John Rice Plumley. I take that back from Ole Miss. He is a much better quarterback than John Rice Plumley is at throwing the football, but he also can run the football quite well. Uh nobody runs it like in the SEC like John Rice Plumley of Ole Miss. And he was also left out of my top five just due to the fact that I don't trust his arm. I do not trust his arm whatsoever. But man, if you let the guy run the ball, he's extremely he's extremely electric. I mean that's the only that's the only way you can describe him. So Yeah, that's my top five quarterbacks and that's my reasoning partly why Jamie Newman and John Rice Plumley were left off, but yeah. That's actually all that I have for you today. It's another kind of shorter episode, but you know, thank you for listening. I really do appreciate every single one of you. You really mean a lot to me. And yeah, follow, make sure to follow my Instagram at bb sports media. Uh check out my Twitter at bb sports media 1. Um Follow the subscribe to the YouTube channel rate and review the podcast also subscribe to that as well if you liked it share it with a friend if you like it do whatever you got to do just kind of get the word out about this if you really enjoy listening to me because uh, all of it's going to help because this is something like I've talked about before this is a dream of mine to do as a job one day and I can't do that without everybody's support and the support that I get already. I'm blown away by it and I'm th- I thank you all for the support that you give me, but keep it up and let's grow this thing some more. Just I just want to let you know all that I appreciate every single one of you and uh yeah, have a great weekend uh, tweet me questions on Twitter at BB sports media one uh any sports questions any life questions anything like that. I'd love to do a YouTube Q&A or just an uh, Instagram Live Q&A, anything like that. I'm getting pretty bored, to be honest. That's part of my problem right now. But, um, yeah, thank you all. And uh, JT, play me out, man. We're going. BB Sports Media.